the the stars are aligning like this is how it's supposed to be and i'm thinking uh touchdown jesus i'm thinking golden domer i'm thinking rudy i'm like man i'm the black rudy this is how it's supposed to be welcome to beyond speaking with brian lord he certainly wasn't a plan for us to raise college and pro football players the moral of the story is take your 10 year old son to us a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers i'm brian lord and on the show today we have nfl pro Bowl running back and Shark Tank entrepreneur Justin Forsett as he shares some of his toughest moments on the field, what it's like to be roommates with a mercurial Marshawn Lynch, and the importance of having a huddle. Everybody loves a good rags to riches story, especially someone who's gone through as much as Justin Forsett. So he's one of the things that really strikes you when you meet him is he is not a big dude. Like, like he talks about not being picked first, like for an NFL team, you wouldn't pick him first, probably looking at him for, for almost any team, not a big guy at all. Uh, you do notice, of course, he is like incredibly athletic looking, but, but the height's not there. And, and then you see like the charisma that comes out of him, the determination, and then you, you have to wonder where did this come from? So I, you know, I'm sitting with him, I'm asking him like, Justin, where did your story begin? I began in a small town called Mulberry, Florida, uh, a town of 3,000 people. Uh, not a lot of people make it out to accomplish their dreams, goals, aspirations. Uh, we got about two uh, two or three traffic lights, and we got a Walmart a few years ago, which was a big deal. Wow, congratulations. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was pretty special for us, but just very humble beginnings. Um, didn't have much as a family uh, growing up, but we just fought kept fighting until we till we made it out until I made it out to be the success. Now, uh, was your family, I know you said you're you're having to fight through. What are some of the stories that went you went through as a kid? Sure, yeah. Um so at our very low points in in growing up, there was times when we had to take baths with bottled waters because we couldn't afford to pay the water bill. We had to uh, do our homework under candlelight because the power was out. We had to park our car down the street so the repo man wouldn't come and pick our car up from the from the house. Um, and then at our very lowest, uh, we were living out of a motel. It was very tough, and I'm very vivid memory of you know what everything looked like. Room 108. I still remember the blue green vomit looking carpet that was on the floor. I remember the two queen size beds, uh, the huge large window pane uh, there where you could look out into the street where all the kids used to drive by, all my schoolmates used to drive by. And I remember just telling my dad, please, dad, park in the back. So, because uh, I, I was embarrassed and uh, I didn't want the kids to know that we were without a home. So, uh, very tough times, but after that moment, I just remember like I wasn't going to allow these things to define me. I was going to allow these things to refine me and make me a better, better person, a better athlete. You know, so that was my motivation. So that that thing, that that adversity that we faced, I used that as fuel to push me to my dreams. And that dream was to one day be an NFL running back. How old were you, and you kind of hit that realization? Uh, it was right around that middle school age, around that twelve, you know, thirteen year old uh, kid that just. Had a whole lot of heart. Now, did you just share that with anyone? For me, you know, I was a quiet kid for the most part, but I remember I was like a, I was a visualizer. Like, I like to just sit and I would look off and, you know, I remember sitting on my parents' waterbed 
uh, back when those things was popular. <laughs> and uh, just looking out and just like kind of visualizing, man, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. This is how it's going to look and this is how I'm going to be and how I'm going to treat people. And, you know, just kind of visualizing, you know, the success that I wanted to have. And uh, that's what kind of kind of drove me internally. And what was the next step? After middle school, you're starting to get into sports. Mm-hmm. Where did your sports passion come from, and, and how did that develop? Man, uh, it was easy. A guy named Barry Sanders, man. I saw him on TV. He was a short uh, guy like myself, um, and, you know, I was always a short kid, not the biggest anything. I always say freakishly good-looking. <laughs> freakishly good-looking He kid. says he's not the biggest guy, but for those listening right now, just to give you a visual, his, his shirt is waging a losing battle against his biceps right now. Well, that's because I buy small. <laughs> that's, that's the trick really <laughs> but 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 yeah Barry Sanders was that guy and I saw him dipping and dashing through defenses and I was like man I want to do that one day and I remember going to Publix grocery store and uh, buy my first poster which was Barry Sanders it said Barry Sanders man or machine I remember plastering it on my wall and just like going to sleep every night looking at that and saying I'm, I'm going to make it somehow some way and uh, that was kind of the guy that really kind of sparked it and you know I kept working you know people always telling me man you're just you're just too small you're too slow you're too this you'll never make it and uh, I kept fighting kept fighting um you know people putting these limitations on me and uh, I got to high school and my parents we moved out to Arlington Texas my junior year and uh, just for me to have a better opportunity to make it out and um you know when I got to Texas, they were like, man, this is a different brand of football here, guy. You know, this is uh, Texas football. We, we're a little bigger out here. I don't know if you're going to make it. You know, and they were trying to place me in their own little box. And, uh, you know, I was just kept fighting, kept working, uh, excelled at what I could control. And after my All-Star game, uh, my last senior year with no scholarships on the table, Notre Dame came into the picture and offered me a scholarship. And uh, I was super excited. I was like, "Man, this is it! This is the writing is on the wall. the 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 stars are aligning. Like this is how it's supposed to be." And I'm thinking, uh, "Touchdown, Jesus!" I'm thinking, <laughs> "Golden Domer." I'm thinking, "Rudy." I'm like, "Man, I'm the Black Rudy. This is how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be here." And uh, I remember uh, a week before signing day, uh, college signing day. Uh, for high school athletes, uh, football players, Notre Dame gave me a call and told me they didn't need me anymore. And I remember just being crushed as a 17-year-old kid. I remember just going down in my basement, just crying my eyes out because I knew, man, I was doing everything that I could control. I was excelling at it. I was doing everything that was in my power. I was I was that kid, instead of going out partying and drinking, I was doing a thousand push-ups and sit-ups a night. You know, I was make, watching the, the the things. I was I was stretching. I was watching tape of other athletes, other football players like Eddie George and, you know, Barry Sanders trying to perfect and hone my skills. Um, and I got to this moment and I'm just crushed and heartbreaking. I'm heartbroken. I remember just crying my eyes out and praying and getting up from that prayer, just feeling relieved and, you know, at a peace. And I was just like, man, I can't do anything else, man. I just got to excel at what I control, keep the faith, keep working. Something has to break. And uh, it was a couple months down the road, uh, my dad got a call and says, man, UC Berkeley wants to offer you a scholarship. I was like, what? UC Berkeley? Cal want to offer me a scholarship? (laughs) He was like, yeah. I was like, where is UC Berkeley? And... uh, (laughs) He, t- he filled me in. I was like, man, that's, that's all right with me at the time. I mean, they were ranked number 11th in the country in football, number one public ac- uh, public institute in the world. 
And uh, I'm just like, man, this is a blessing. Excited. I go there, play with guys like Aaron Rodgers, um, Deshaun Jackson, and my my roommate at one time was this guy named Marshawn Lynch, who ended up <laughs> being sort of a big deal. And uh, you know, we played together, shared the backfield together with uh, him and I uh, into his junior year. And then he went and got drafted to the Buffalo Bills. But and, now I got. I'm curious what what was he like as a roommate, Marshawn Lynch? Oh mode. man, he was a sweetie pie. <laughs> no man he was great man uh just uh down to earth man like has a big heart like uh like giving of almost to a fault like just because he just loves people loves his community i've literally saw him you know give the shirt off his back on the street to someone that was in need and uh just, I mean, he's a good friend of mine. He was a groomsman in my wedding, one of my uh, one of my best friends, and uh, just special guy he is for sure. Yeah. Now, one of the things you talk about when you talk about having a huddle, like a group of people around you, mm-hmm. like what are some of the things that you've learned from him or Aaron Rodgers or mm-hmm. or Deshaun Jack- or some of those people that you've been around? Yeah. So de- definitely, in the midst of adversity, you need a huddle. You need to have people around you that hold you accountable. And you know, I remember getting into a huddle with Peyton Manning, and he would give me three things. He would give me warning. He would give me encouragement. He would give me instruction. And we need that in life. And um, you know, because we can't do life alone. And what I learned from Marshawn in that regard and him being one of the guys in my huddle, it's like, man, you can't take yourself too seriously. You have to enjoy life every day because tomorrow's not promised. And for him, he just lived, even on the football field, you'll see him, he'll be running, uh, dipping in dash to do defenses, running guys over, stiff-arming people, but he'll be laughing all the way. <laughs> you can hear him on the field just like, you know, laughing, you know, whether it's in practice or in a game. He always had this smile on his face while he was playing. And, you know, and I was always this guy who was just like laser focused and I had to, you know, this this perfectionist. I can't make mistakes and all this stuff. And I was missing the moment. I was cheating the moment. And uh, he just kind of taught me like, man, you just got to be a little bit loose. Enjoy the moment, man, because this this time is fleeting. So, so you've gone through your time at Cal. You're, you're, you finally get your time. You know, Marshawn, obviously amazing player. He moves on. Where did you kind of pick up from there? So I'm getting ready for the NFL draft, you know. Um, I'm one step closer to my dream, um, everything that I've been fighting for. I get ready for the scouting, scouting combine, doing the, you know, bench press. And I mean, it's basically a meat market. I don't know if you've ever seen the combine, yeah. but I mean – I'm basically in line walking through the combine as you just shirt off, just nothing but a girdle on. And uh, just to give you a little context of how these owners and GMs and things, how it works, (laughs) it's a little crazy. So they're looking at everybody, calling out. You're walking down this line. I remember, I think, who was in front of me? I think maybe Matt Forte and Joe Flacco were uh, (laughs) right beside me. And, you know, we were right in front of each other uh, because our name, last names. And... uh, Walking out, they're calling everybody out. They're calling your your height, your name, your school, your weight, and uh, they're calling everybody out. And then they get to me, and they're n- naming off all of my you know stats and all that stuff. And uh, I could overhear like the scouts and GMs like, "Man, that sure is a little fella." <laughs> and I was like, "Man, this is not what you want to hear when you're getting ready to go into the NFL." But uh, there were some doubts, and there's some you know. Preconceived, preconceived notions about who they thought I would be, you know, and how long I would last in the NFL. Uh, but I was able to over, overcome those things um, by excelling at what I could control, my attitude, my effort, my ability to prepare, 
and uh, shoot, I was played played in nine, nine years for, in the NFL, Pro Bowl running back for the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, it was a special time. I got drafted by the Seattle Seahawks in the seventh round in 2008, and you know, been blessed. You're talking about ultimate success. Obviously, you were in the NFL. Uh, mm-hmm. For a long time, when did you really make it in the NFL, though? Yeah, man, my my journey was not easy. Um, you know, it was unheard of. You know, for me, I I had my biggest uh, year, my most successful year at year seven is when I got my breakthrough um, after fifteen years of doing the same things over and over and over again, excelling at what I can control, building a huddle around me, um, serving the people around me uh, in my community, like. It took all of those things of just keep grinding, hitting the wall, keep, you know, getting knocked down, um, you know, in order to get success. You know, the thing was when I was at that combine and throughout my tenure in the NFL, people could measure how high uh, I could jump. They could measure how fast I'm in my 40, but they could never measure my ability to get knocked down seven times and get up eight. You know, they kept telling me, they, I got kept getting fired. Um, they kept telling me what I couldn't do, but I kept working. I kept fighting. Um and uh, I was able to make it, you know, uh, and, and get my breakthrough at year seven when no one else thought it was even possible. And uh, and it was actually right before the year I was going to walk away from football uh, because I didn't think, I mean, if I couldn't play for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I was like, uh, I mean, who else could I play for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're AFC South. So we're yeah, totally yeah. fine to be anti-Jacksonville yeah, Jaguars. The bashing of the Jacksonville Unless we've Jaguars. got clients there, then, it was, then it's okay. <laughs> but... But yeah, I got my 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 breakthrough um, late, but uh, you know it's it's allowed me to go out and be able to encourage people. Uh, like man, no matter how much rejection you face, and no doesn't matter how much uh, people want to place you in a box or put limitations on you, your dreams are still possible if you keep fighting. So uh, it was definitely a great journey. I wouldn't change it. So playing in the NFL, you, of course, had some heated games, and being a Baltimore Raven, you had to face the Steelers at least twice a year, every year. What were those games like as a player? Was that like the biggest rivalry you were part of? Yeah, it was definitely, hands down, the biggest rivalry I was yeah. a part of. It's it's intense, man. I, I loved each moment of it. When, it's just a different week when you know you're playing the Steelers. Um, it's a lot of hatred involved, a lot of emotion, and it was nothing like for me. Like My favorite place to play was Heinz Field being a Baltimore Raven, going out there, taking that bus trip uh, from the city, going there, driving up to the stadium. You got generations of hate down the sidewalk, like people mooning (laughs) you, throwing stuff at the bus, um, you know, flipping you off, all these different things. Like people are just going crazy. And then you walk into like this Coliseum type atmosphere with this yellow and they're waving these terrible towels. And, you know, they got this crappy song that they play before, uh, before they enter the stadium. And people are just booing you. And you're just like, man, it's me against the world. It's us against the world. And uh, and it's just smash mouth football. It's going out there and it's just like the battle of the wheels. Like who's going who's gonna to break first? And uh, it's special, man. I always remember those games. Anything in particular that stands out from any one game, like a high point, a low point? <sighs> for me, one game that stands out for me, it was in 2014. Uh, after I was just fired from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and now I'm on my way to a Pro Bowl. I'm top five leading rusher uh, in the NFL. And uh, week 10, I want to say week 10 or 11, we play the Jacksonville Jaguars. (laughs) And I'm like, Justin, you know, keep your composure. Don't get too emotional. 
Um, just let the game come to you. All week, I'm just preparing, preparing like I normally do and trying to, trying to remind myself to stay focused. And all of a sudden, Sunday comes around. It's an overcast day at M&T Bank Stadium Field in Baltimore, Maryland. And I go out to the field for pre, pre-game warm-ups like I normally do. And I just go out there and my former teammates for the Jacksonville Jacks, they're coming up to me because they've seen all the success that I've had. And they're like, man, we're just so happy for you. I remember going through my, finishing my warm-ups and getting ready to go back into the locker room. And there was a a coach for the Jaguars, one of my former coaches, and he stopped me. He's like, Justin, everybody's trying to figure out why are you having so much success? And I've been telling people in the meeting room that it's because you're finally in the right system. And I remember just boiling up on the inside. Because he wasn't giving credit to my hard work or my discipline or me being able to excel at what I can control, my uh, my ability to serve and uh, to have a good huddle around me. He was giving the credit to a system. And I remember going to that locker room, just fuming. And I remember just playing my music, going, putting on my pads, my shoulder pads, um, my, my thigh pads and helmet and all that stuff, getting ready for the game, getting dressed. And I remember my locker with my headphones on, and I'm pouring, crying, just overwhelmed with emotion. Because now I'm not thinking about what that coach said. I'm th- I'm starting to recall Room 108. I'm starting to recall being a homeless in that motel. I'm starting to recall uh, running from the repo man or my power being out. I'm starting to remember the rejection from Notre Dame and me, me being fired three times prior, prior to to being in Baltimore and I like and I'm thinking like man I'm here traditionally before games teams do team prayer so John Harbaugh at the time would do team prayer and then he does a pep talk and then we go out and we take the field so and I'm still at the time we're doing our team prayer I'm still crying my tears stream down my face we're locking arms with my teammates and coaches giving this pep talk and during that time I looked over and tears streaming down my face there was a teammate of mine named Steven he looked at me and as if he acknowledged or understood what I was going through. And he was a guy that was on that a fringe player at the time. And I'll never forget, after we broke and went to the field and we were getting ready to take the field, Stephen came over to me and he wrapped his arms around me. He said, man, we got you. We love you. You can count on us. And I remember during that time just thinking like, I'm not gonna go out on this field by myself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna have to fight this bit of adversity on my own. I never had to before. Like I have some people that love me, that support me, that believe in me. No matter what happened in the past with this team that I'm about to face, the hurt and the rejection that I faced, I have some people that wanted to do life with me now. And they counted on me and they loved me. And it was just like, uh, oh, it was like, man, one of those moments like, man, this is special. I have to embrace this moment, embrace this moment. And uh, I'll never forget that game. And I'll never forget that moment um, in that locker room. Wow. Now, how does that carry over? I know you see you got kids five, three, and one. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that carry over to them? What does it mean to you being a parent? I want to be the best dad in the world because football was great. Being a businessman, a successful businessman, that's you know what I aim to be. All that stuff is is great, but 
at the end of the day, I want my legacy to be founded on things that are going to last. Things like being a great father, having a good relationship with my kids, a good relationship with my wife, um, serving people in my community, having impact uh, in people's lives uh, that need help. Like at the end of the day, I'm not going to on my deathbed, I'm not going to be counting, you know, how much money I have in my account, how many cars or houses I have. It's going to be about those things that, those things of substance. And uh, that's what I want to build my legacy on. So how I treat my kids, my, my wife and my community is like, man, I want to have a lasting impact and I want to be the best at it. Greatness doesn't just stop in one avenue of life. Like if you just want to be a, you know, a CEO one day of, of a major corporation, like greatness should consume you in all that you do. It should flow over into how you, how you parent, how you coach, you know, how you live, you know? So it, that's kind of my mission. That's kind of my mindset and, you know, how I do things. Yeah. You're not only an NFL player, your, your story definitely doesn't stop there. You've yeah. actually been on Shark Tank. You're an entrepreneur. Tell us yeah. about that. The entrepreneurial life, man, it just sounds so sexy, but it's so hard. <laughs> it is a grind, but I love it. I mean, it just gets my competitive juices going. I started this company called Shower Pill uh, while I was playing. Um, it's basically an active care company. We create hygiene products for people on the go. Uh, our hero product is a, a body wipe, which is a disposable washcloth, antibacterial washcloth to be able to wipe down and cleanse yourself while um, you're on the go, whether it's camping, working out you know, yoga, Pilates, you name it. And uh, so that afforded us opportunity uh, to go on Shark Tank um, and have the worst pitch in Shark Tank history. <laughs> uh, you know. And I'm going to send this to Damon John. So Damon Johns, we book him, and he's on this podcast too. Is he? Oh, and man. so you'll you'll have to, uh, I'll make sure to send this over Damn, to Damon, give me another shot, man. <laughs> this is my, I'm pleading my case. No, uh, it was a great experience, man. It did wonders for our business. Um, we got there and we just literally fumbled the ball um, when we got there. But they loved the the good thing was they loved the product, they loved the concept, um, and uh, sales have been through the roof. I mean, but it's been entrepreneurial life. Uh, being an athlete, it's a it's a new space, but has some of the, some similarities. I mean, some of those same things, skills that I needed to be a great football player, I needed him to be a you know a great businessman, and it, it comes with a shares of adversity. Um, I find myself with the struggle uh, that I had early on in my career with identity issues in work. Like I have this, like you feel like the way the way you feel is based on your performance, based on how other people see you. But what I've learned is if you live for people's acceptance, you'll die from the rejection. And having that, being able to have that balance like I had at the tail end of my career where I had peace and not living for other people's uh, approval uh, allowed me to shine. And I'm still, in this, in this line of work, you see it's starting to creep in because you have this baby, you have this business that you're running, and you want to pour all of yourself into it. It's 24-7. You know, there's no, like, cutoff time for, you know, being having a startup. And I'm just, I'm just constantly reminding myself, like, man, this is, like, I never signed up to be just an all-pro football player. 
you know, I want to be an all-pro businessman. I want to be an all-pro husband. I want to be an all-pro father. So I have to make sure that uh, I'm having that 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 great balance uh, while I'm doing this this entrepreneurial thing because that identity thing can still creep up in this line of work as well. You know, being in being in corporate. So um, it's definitely uh, been a battle. You know, you gotta do your P and L statements, being able to manage uh, employees. You know, being able to work uh, work well to work well with each other. Have um, you know, a great organization um, that's, you know, communicating well, you know, and, and you got to be able to serve each other and, and help you help each other out along the way. But uh, uh, it's it's been a fun journey. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of Dean Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast? Oh, Damon, I'm here, man.